Today we're finishing up the series that we started at the beginning of our summer. It's called On Trial, and it's been basically the last six chapters of the book of Acts. We've been looking at a guy named Paul who has been on trial, literally, three times uh, over a three-year incarceration in a place called Caesarea. And then last week we saw him go through a different kind of trial. Uh, He got on a ship in Caesarea, a prisoner, albeit, headed towards Rome. Uh, But in the time that he was on that ship, uh, there was a big storm. Anybody remember that? And the storm actually uh, took everything from the ship except the people on board. They just kept dumping stuff day after day, trying to make it uh, a better situation for that ship to survive the storm that they were in. But then they finally got to a point where they lost all hope. Been there? Yeah, sometimes we get there. That's why it was so important for us to see what Paul was inspired to say by God in the midst of that storm. He came to his fellow uh, sailors and shipmates and he said, hey guys, take courage. It's the Greek word euthymeo. Uh, have a good anger towards what's going on. Have, have a positive enraging uh, in, in, in over the things that are headed so that you can keep moving forward. And he says you can have this because God is with us. You can have this because God owns us. You can have this courage if you have faith in the God that I serve. And we saw as uh, that storm uh, grew larger and louder uh, that indeed God did save them. In fact, my favorite part of that whole story in Acts chapter 27 is, uh, is the actual shipwreck. And some of you are like, well, that doesn't seem like a good thing to like. Uh, well, yeah, the nose of the boat hits this sandbar just out, off this island called Malta, and, uh, and the waves are so powerful on the back of this open-hulled boat that it just breaks the boat in pieces. But one of the last things we see in the story is, is uh, you know, the leader there on the ship saying, okay, everybody swim to shore that can swim to shore. And then my favorite part of the story is this, and he says, is it everybody who can't swim to shore, guess what uh, you get to do? You get to grab onto pieces of this boat that has been broken up by the incredible power of this storm, and the the, the broken pieces of the boat are going to act as your life preservers as you make it into shore. And the the Bible tells us that all 276 on board were spared. And I thought to myself again this week, isn't that how God works sometimes? He takes away our boat. Takes away everything that we count on, everything that we cling to in our storms, leaving us only himself and our faith in him. But then he has this in, in uncanny way of taking the brokenness of that situation and using it to move us forward and to preserve us, just like he did with that boat. Well, today we're going to talk in this last chapter about what happens after the storm. What happens after the storm? What, what do we do in the wake of a storm? I, I grew up playing basketball and, and, uh, and, and lost many games. Anybody play sports? You don't win them all. And in many of those games, in fact, I would tell you that in every one of those games, there's very few that we led the whole time. We would get behind. Teams make runs, especially in a sport like basketball. And so they'd get up by, you know, 5, 10, 15 points, and what would our coach do? Call the timeout. He'd get everybody together. And after he was done yelling at us and calling us names, which is my coaches, I don't know if you had those coaches. <laughs> I, 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 didn't think, I didn't know my name was Mark for an entire season. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say the word that I, I was called. But, uh, uh, yeah, my, my, but, but that, listen, almost in every one of those huddles, there was some form of this message. Listen, it's in these moments that we find out what? What we're made of. When we go through adversity, we really find out who we are as a team. And sometimes that was helpful, and sometimes I was like, hey, we're not very good as a team, and then we'd go back out there. (laughs) I remember 
after some of the hard losses, even sometimes when we would come back in those down moments but still kind of lose by a little bit, we'd go back to the locker room. Who's been in a losing locker room? That's a fun thing, right? People, you know, getting ready to get cleaned up so they can go back to their dorm or get on the bus and drive home, whatever. But you have those five minutes where the coach comes in. He's either mad, throwing things at the chalkboard, or he's, you know, grateful for the effort. But again, in those situations, the coach almost always said something in this, this, this vein. He, he would always say, so listen, our losses show us what we're made of. We got Prescott next week, or we got Concordia next Sunday, and, and we need you guys to learn from this, to leave this behind and to move forward. Losses are inevitable in life. Life ebbs and flows. Sometimes we're ahead, sometimes we're way behind. But there can be a, a lot said of us, said about us, uh, as to, in, in, in terms of what we do in the midst of those difficulties and in the wake of those losses. Paul wakes up on a, a shore here in Malta, a place he'd never been before. He and his 275 other shipmates have lost everything. It went down with the boat. They had the clothes on their back and maybe the boards that they were hanging on to, but that's it in a foreign land where no one knows them, and they have nothing. We're going to kind of walk through what happens in Paul's story, but I want you to understand it in the context that it's put in. It's the, it's the aftermath of his storm. How does he act, and then in turn, how should we act? What should we do in the wake of a storm? Four things. First one's this. Uh, serve those still in the storm as you're coming out of your storm. Here's what typically happens. When we go through hard things, we either go inward or we stay outward. We either get self-obsessed or we get selfless. We become involved in other people's lives and making a difference there or we become just pity party pals and, and, and we just kind of stay and hope for everybody to serve us. It's interesting to see what Paul does as he lands on shore. Let's read the story together. In verse one it says, after we were brought, Luke here writing, the, the author of Acts, he and Paul were on the ship and he says, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. How about that for landing on a spot you don't even know where you are? Pardon me, we just shipwrecked. Where are we? Malta. Uh, here's some good news. The native people there in Malta showed us unusual kindness, for they, they, they built some fires. I mean, they, there wasn't like a, a nice warm you know, place for them to be huddled into, all these almost 300 uh, souls. Uh, so they built fires on the beach, and they welcomed us all, and because it had begun to rain and was cold, it, it was necessary for these fires to be built. So here's Paul, and, and Paul, you know, uh, huddles up next to some other guys who are soaking wet and just worn out, haven't eaten hardly anything for a couple weeks, and so he just stands next to the fire with them and tries to get warm. Is that what the story tells us? No, it's not what the story tells us. Paul was out gathering additional wood. Now here's the part most people focus on when they get to this story. Uh, and it's pretty uh, fantastic and amazing and wild. Uh, but while he was gathering sticks and put them on the fire, a viper, a snake, poisonous one, uh, came out because of the heat, and he fastened onto his hand. Scholars think that maybe that Paul was just grabbing sticks in the dark, and, and as he was grabbing sticks, it was so cold that this serpent perhaps had been kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know what happens with reptiles when their blood gets too cold, they just kind of get like really lethargic and stuff like that. And he may have unwittingly grabbed a snake that was on a log or something like that. And as he got closer to the fire, the snake woke up and he's like, whoa, I'm, I'm being carried. And uh, snakes do what snakes do. They bite. And so this snake 
but Paul. Uh, <laughs> that's what people usually focus on. But I'm going to spend these first few verses focusing on what Paul was doing when he got bit by a snake. He was helping out. He was busy making a difference for those around us. We understand that because we live in Florida. Hurricanes. Anybody with me on this? Yeah. Uh, this last one Irma went through, and God spared this area. Uh, grateful for that. Uh, other spots were just wrecked. I was down in Key West at the men's retreat last October, and they were stacking washers and dryers up next to the highway, you know, 20 feet high. I mean, uh, we need to continue to pray for places that are hit by uh, storms like that and ask God to provide for them. But here's what I know about our, time, our place. Uh, the storm came through, I think it was Saturday night, right? I, I can't remember. It was a nighttime. And, uh, and I, I just remember sitting up all night. Who sat up all night that night? I sat up all night because we are surrounded by like 45-foot daddy oak, you know, uh, big daddy oak, I don't know what they call them, granddaddies? Sure, those big t- trees. And I kept waiting for one of them to fall on my house. I don't know what, you know, that good was going to, you know, oh, here it comes, great. But uh, <clears throat> I was worried, I was concerned, I was praying for you guys and for the rest of our uh, state as, as we were going through this thing. Didn't sleep a lot that night, but I woke up. Isn't it weird after a hurricane, just how calm things feel, right? I mean, the this, this thing is gone and you wake up. And, and I had, uh, I think, five or six pickup truckloads full of debris in my backyard uh, that my son and I picked up that day. But here's, here's what my favorite things are in the aftermath of a hurricane around here. is seeing on Facebook or on text messages or whatever, say, hey, we're going over to help so-and-so. And the people uh, that are going over to help so-and-so usually have a mess in their yard, too. But there's this spirit of, hey, if we all, you know, uh, many hands make light work or whatever the saying is. We're all going to go do this together and we're going to go here and there and there and there. And we're just going to provide for people. Even, in the, in, even though we went through the storm too, we understand it's probably a better use of our time than just kind of sitting there and licking our wounds to go and help others. I think that's the Christian ethic. That's what Jesus did, right? The Bible says that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. Uh, over and over again, we see him uh, tirelessly uh, feeding large crowds, healing their sick, preaching hours on end. He'd wear himself out to the point that he just had to get away and go and spend time to refuel with his father. But his mission on earth, even as he uh, had no place to lay his head, even as he you know, walked uh, you know, impoverished around the world that he was serving, he, he never paid attention once to his plight. I mean, look at the cross. He was suffering, but he persisted, knowing that the greater good would come as a result. Now, that's who we've been called to be as Christians, Christ-like, servants. And I love hearing stories uh, about those who get that. Uh, about a month ago, uh, we laid to rest a, a, a dear sister here from our church. Her name's Mary. Uh, she had fought cancer for four years and uh, had gone through many of the treatments that were necessary to prolong her life. Uh, she was over at Moffitt and uh, getting treatments. Uh, people from her family and friend group would give her little prayer cards, just these little reminders of how God is faithful and how she can count on him and his promises. And She would look at those, I guess, for the first few times. But then she said, you know what, I don't think these prayer cards for me. I'm confident in my God. I'm supposed to share these with the other patients. And so she would get up from where she was getting her treatment, and she'd just, you know, start walking around and being like, hey, hi, I'm Mary. Uh, You're supposed to have this. As, as, you know, four years go by, she gets more and more emboldened. 
And she starts just being you know, even more uh, loving and serving of those around her. She, she, she extends it to the staff. People would fight over who got to serve Mary. Because she would just brighten a, 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 an otherwise sometimes dark place with her willingness to love and serve and encourage. Uh, a young guy was a, a steward there in the, in the hospital. He was in charge of you know, remaking the beds and cleaning up the rooms. And he was in Mary's room one day and he was humming. And Mary's like, what are you humming? And you know, this big old, uh, you know, 20-something, 30-something year old guy. Uh, he's, he's, he says, well, my family's a, a gospel singing group. They don't let me sing. I just carry all the cases. I'm the roadie. Uh, but, uh, but, but, but I know the songs, and so sometimes I just catch myself singing. She says, well, which one are you singing? And so they talked about the song. She says, well, you know what? This is my favorite song. And she told him, you know, her favorite gospel hymn. And, and he knew it. And before they knew it, they were filling the wing at Moffitt with their, uh, their song together. Neither of them singing, apparently from, you know, hearing from his fam- her family, not, neither of them singing particularly well. But uh, that was her heart until the day that she died. I talked to her on a Sunday four, five, six weeks ago, and she was gone on Monday. Uh, but she was here, walking through life, loving her God, loving her husband and her boys, and serving those around her. Now, lots can be said about people in the wake of their storms. Now, who are they focused on, themselves or those around them? I think we should serve others as we go through our storms. Secondly, we need to be prepared for people to misunderstand God's work in us. Isn't that true? Our culture is getting more and more befuddled by Christianity as we go along. I was reading the newspaper this morning, and there was an op-ed, and that's a very old thing to say, but I was reading the newspaper this morning, and there was an op-ed piece in the back of the, the, the main section of the news, and uh, it was this editorial on, on a guy who was saying, listen, can you, can you cut out the condescension when it comes to faith? I'm paraphrasing, but basically, here's what had happened. There was a woman in California who had been caught in a hostage situation. Someone had walked into a Whole Foods and taken hostages, and she and her family were caught in this thing. So she went to Twitter, you know, had texted for help and emergency help and all that stuff, but then she went to Twitter, and she just asked people to pray. I'm a hostage in a hostage situation. Would you please pray? Somebody in Australia took it upon themselves to explain to her how stupid that was. You know, how, uh, you know, prayers and thoughts are never... You know, have, have never been a, a solution in a, in a you know, a, a, a situation like this, you know, uh, said all their stuff about their political leanings, and then finished with just, you know, their atheistic stance. I mean, it's just, when are you people going to learn that prayers don't work? And this was, this was going on while this woman's in a hostage situation on Twitter. God bless social media. Isn't it great? What a great tool for our culture. Anyway, uh, the editorial goes on to explain, hey, can everybody just calm down? Can everybody just back off on the Christians? This writer apparently is uh, a, a, you know, a Christian of some kind. Uh, but his, his complaint was, is, is the world uh, demands that uh, we comply with their thinking and, and doesn't understand why we would have any faith at all. It's a, a greater problem. Look, look what was happening in, in Paul's world. So, so this is how he got you know, misconstrued. The native people there, the ones who had built the bonfires, they saw that this viper was hanging from his hand and so they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Because that's how you tell who's really killed somebody. <laughs> they got a snake hanging from their hand. I mean, just, you don't even have to have a trial. If someone's on you know, trial for murder, just look at their hand. Is there a snake there? Obviously, it's, they did it, it's, it's obvious. 
Now, they're actually coming from their own uh, religious understandings. Uh, they believed in the, in the Greek pantheon of gods. They're on Malta. And so this next sentence kind of gives us a, a greater understanding. It says, though he has escaped from the sea. So the gods were good to him to get him out of the water. It says here, justice has not allowed him to live. Does everybody see the capital letter there, justice? They're, talk, they're talking about a person here. In the Greek, it's actually the Greek word DK. Everybody say DK. DK was the Greek god of justice. Goddess, I'm sorry. The goddess of justice. And when justice needed to be meted out in the Greek culture, uh, those who believed in the Greek pantheon of God said, oh, here comes DK. And so this is what they were saying. DK has not allowed him to live. He's obviously done something wrong because justice is being served. So their initial thought of seeing Paul being bitten by this snake is, oh, He's obviously a criminal. But then look what happens next. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and he suffered no harm. Because <laughs> God's with Paul. He's got to get to Rome. There's, you know, there's not going to be any breaks in this story. He's got him through the storm. He's certainly not going to let a snake you know, derail things now. And so, you know, what a great picture of God's power. Oh, cobra. And he just shakes it off into the, into the fire. So the people who are watching this, who are waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead, didn't get to see that. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they completely changed their tune. They changed their minds and they said, well, he's obviously a god. I mean, we thought he was cursed by the gods a few minutes ago, but since he's not dead, he must be a god. Can everybody see kind of the the wild swing that that requires. And this is what people who don't understand God, and sometimes even those of us who kind of do, do a lot of times. We have these wild swings. We, we make calls and then reverse calls. We, we try to understand what God's doing and we don't. Paul experienced this earlier in the book. Here in Acts, in Acts chapter 14, he comes to a place called Lystra. He sees this guy who's laying down uh, and he's been lame since birth, and he starts preaching the gospel, and this guy has faith in his eyes. Paul says, or Luke says that he's, Paul saw faith in the eyes of this lame man, and he says, hey, man, get up and walk. And so this lame guy in Acts chapter 14 in Lystra stands up and starts walking around, and people lose their stuff. They just start going crazy. And you know what? They, they, they look at Paul and his buddy Barnabas, and they say, gods, Barnabas is Zeus, Paul is Hermes, because he talks a lot, apparently Hermes was known for talking. And they start worshiping him. The pastor at the church of Zeus comes down and says, where's Zeus? I gotta meet him, I've been worshiping him all my life. I, I didn't know he was gonna show up in human form. Everybody was worshiping these guys as gods. And Paul and Barnabas ran into the crowd and they ripped off their clothes, which I thought was a weird way to let everybody know that they were just humans. But, uh, but they start ripping at their clothes and vehemently saying, no, guys, we're not gods. We are sent by God, and we want to tell you about God, but we are not gods. But still, people persisted in wanting to worship them. That's verse 19, Acts chapter 14. You know what happens verse 20? I mean, I'm sure some things took place between, but the, the writing that Luke does just says, and in verse 20, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came to Lystra and they told stories on Paul and Barnabas and these same people who were worshiping them as Zeus and Hermes took those two guys and it says specifically of Paul, they beat him until he looked like he was dead and then they threw him outside the city walls. Wow. 
That's a plummet in your poles right there, right? Things went from being you're, you're the most celebrated person in the entire city to you're almost dead on the outskirts of town, right? So what's the point? The point is, is that throughout Paul's story and throughout every Christian story, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be confusion on the outside of people who don't understand God about who you are and what you're about. It's always a, a game changer when someone finds out that I'm a pastor. You know, maybe that happens with you when they find out that you go to church, right? They don't exactly know what to do with us. But here's our mission. Regardless of if people embrace us, regardless of if people mistake us for Greek gods, I hope that hasn't happened for anybody here, regardless of if people revile us and go on Twitter and tell us we're fools, you know what our mission is? The same mission that's been given to the church for 2,000 years. To be like Paul who said when he was in Corinth, I came to you preaching nothing but Christ and him crucified. That's all I got. My faith does not change or bend with public opinions. It doesn't matter to me if my culture reviles me or celebrates me. For me to live is Christ. For you and me, our lives are built on that truth. Nothing less. So even if people don't understand you, those in your family, those in your friend group, those at work, or if they unduly uh, elevate you and you know, act weird around you because they know you're the Christian, regardless of their reactions, just be prepared and continue to follow Christ. As you're coming out of the storm, you need to watch, watch and see God provide for you so that he can provide for his ministry. Look at what it says in verse 7. So they're there on Malta. He's shaking off the snake. People are trying to figure out if he's a god or a demon or whatever. But uh, the next day comes. Uh, and the day that, you know, that, that comes after that is, 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 is quickly arriving. And they, they've got to figure out how are we going to provide for ourselves? How are we going to live here on Malta in the wake of this storm? Well, God blesses. He provides. In the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man. Uh, most scholars think this is like the governor of Malta, the, the head official in the Roman government. Uh, his name was Publius, the founder of Publix, oddly enough, and uh, uh, who received, not really, if you're here today and you don't know that, it's not true. Anyway, uh, who received us, and he entertained us hospitably for three days, at least three days, could have been longer than that, but at least for these three days, the governor of the island opened his uh, home to maybe it was just Luke and Paul and a few others, or maybe it was all 276 of them, it doesn't say. But God is providing through a perfectly strange stranger on this land for the needs of these who are shipwrecked. Who's ever been broken down on the side of the road? And someone came to your aid. Who's ever been in need? And, and, and you know, uh, someone that you don't even know, uh, you know, said, hey, I want to provide for this. I want to take care of that. I want to cover this. And, and, and many of us have experienced that. And you've got to understand, that was not a coincidence. That was not good luck. We don't believe in luck. That was the grace of an all-knowing and all-seeing God coming to you in that situation. I was a young father. I was driving with uh, Eleanor and our three kids uh, up north for Christmas. It was snowing in Missouri. It was very cold. And uh, I, you know, being the brainiac that I am, thought that we could make it to the next town on the gas that we had. Anybody want to wonder how that went out? Yeah, uh, we didn't. In fact, we coasted, literally coasted, 
uh, into the parking lot of a of, a, of a, a company that was closed down. It was very early in the morning. We used to wake up our, or actually put our kids to bed and then put them in the car very early in the morning so we could make the drive straight, whoever did that. So, so it was early in the morning. Their business wasn't even open, and my car was out of gas. I didn't have a gas can. I had a very angry wife. And uh, I just walked up to the door praying, Lord, favor, just anything. I knocked on the door, and someone was up and in the business. And they didn't sell gas. And I, I said, listen, we're driving north to Indianapolis for Christmas. I was an idiot and thought I could get, make it to town. I didn't make it. Is there any way you can give me a lift to town so I can buy a gas can, blah, 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 blah. And he said, I'll do you one better. I got a gas can right over there in my garage. Walks over to the garage. Where's your car? Boy, you are dumb, aren't you? Here you go, me. <laughs> Pours the gas in the can. Gave us all that we needed to get to the Shell station in that town. And we went on how God does. Yeah. He takes care of, of the dummies, right? That's how he does. But listen, God always provides. I believe this. I believe that God always provides for us so that we can provide for him. So that he can use us to bring himself glory. All right? And that's what happens. Look, in verse 8, it says this. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. It's called Malta fever. Most scholars believe it was this actual disease that was, uh, you know, uh, diagnosed in the late 1800s called Malta fever. It was uh, contracted when you drank the milk from the goats there on Malta. So if you're having goat milk for uh, lunch, just be careful, Malta fever. Anyway, uh, it was back in those days, uncurable. Uh, you'd get sick for four or five months with fever and then you'd die. So Paul visited Publius's father and he prayed and God uh, threw him as he put his hands on him. God healed him, Paul didn't heal him, God healed him. And guess what that did? Well, like it always did in the Bible, when someone was healed, it opened the floodgates because, next verse, uh, when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and they were cured and, and this incredible work there on Malta took place because God had provoked or you know, encouraged Puglis to open his home to Paul. And because he had blessed Paul in this way, Paul had the opportunity to bless not just the father of Puglis, but the entire island with the healing that they so needed. I was walking through the Walmart parking lot last Sunday. We were having a life group over for uh, a life group meeting, and I needed some supplies. And we're that family who's like, oh, yeah, and then quick runs to the store about a half an hour before something begins. Is anybody that way? That's how I am. Eleanor wasn't here, and I had forgotten a few things, and so I was quick running to the Walmart over there across uh, from, or next to Loghorn, one by the mall. Anyway, uh, I come out, and I've got my stuff in just enough time to get home, you know, to really be there and, and, and be sure that I'm going to precede my guests. And uh, parked next to my car, my truck, is a guy with his hood up, right? Thousand parking spaces in Walmart, and old boy breaks down next to my truck. Really, Lord? I got the message. You know what flashed through my head? Driving with my family through Missouri, needing some gas. This one was easy. Hey, buddy, need a jump? African-American gentleman just kind of turned around and looked at me. And, really? It's like, yeah, bro. Let me just throw these groceries in the back. Uh, I had cables, but I asked him, do you have cables? He says, of course I got cables. What am I, dumb? Anyway, uh, so I popped open my hood, zippity-zap-zap. Zap. Three minutes later, his car's running. 
I made his Sunday. Not, well, I didn't make his Sunday. God, positioning him perfectly next to someone who had had someone give him some gas in Missouri 15, 20 years before, he made his Sunday. Because God never provides where we won't be given immediately the opportunity to provide for him or eventually the opportunity as a reminder to be gracious in providing for others. It goes on and it tells us uh, that the, uh, the pay it forward or the, the giving keeps on going because uh, after seeing so many healed, uh, the people of Malta honored them greatly because when it was ready for them or time for them to sail on to, towards Rome, uh, the people of Malta just put whatever uh, they needed on board, uh, all the supplies. Uh, they just wanted to bless as a result of being blessed. And that's how it's supposed to work. In the wake of our storms, just watch. God's going to provide for you and then be ready so that you can provide for others. The last thing is this. As you come out of a storm, uh, be encouraged by the fellow believers around you. A lot of times, I don't know about you, when I go through hard things, I can kind of insulate. I can kind of just build fences and say, I'm going to walk through this myself. I'm a man's man. And, and I don't allow myself to be ministered to or encouraged by other believers who want to help out. And I think that is a, just an injustice. It's a, a, a forsaking of our purpose together as the church. Like even if it's fellow believers that you don't know or aren't familiar with, God sends his, his agents, his providers to, to be with us in the wake of our storms. Uh, Paul's still a prisoner. Don't forget, he's still a prisoner. He's on a ship. He's heading to wherever he's going so that he can continue to serve his sentence until he gets his audience uh, with Caesar in Rome. Uh, he's on this ship and... Uh, uh, He's, he's got that in his background or in, his, in the back of his mind. He's, he's gone through all of these, uh, you know, wrong incarcerations. He shouldn't have been put in jail in the first place, but God had assured him, this is how I'm going to get you to Rome. So he, he accepted that, and he, he went through a, a shipwreck, and, and he's three months on this island of Malta, and he accepted that, and now he's almost to Rome. And we're going to see how God provides for him through fellow believers. After three months... Uh, there in Malta, it says uh, that Luke and Paul got to set sail on a ship that was wintered in the island. It was the ship of Alexandria, a Greek ship, with the twin gods as a figurehead. These twin gods uh, were the gods uh, Castor and Pollux. They were also in the, the Greek mythology. Uh, they were the gods of navigation and the patrons of seafarers. Uh, they put in at Syracuse, New York, which is a real long way to go. <laughs> now, Syracuse is the capital of Sicily, and so they're kind of coming around uh, the east uh, or west coast, pardon me, of, of, of Sicily and Italy. Uh, they stayed there for three days. Luke's very detailed in his description. It goes on to say that from there we made a circuit. We went to this place called Regium, and then one day a south wind sprang up, and we made great time. We went all this place called Patoli, Patuli, you say it how you want. Uh, and there we found, this is the great part, there we found, after uh, all of this sailing, some brothers. And we were invited to stay with them for seven days. Scholars think that Julius, who was the head guard in charge of Paul, maybe he had business, he had to go and check in with, you know, it had been months now since they'd heard from him, and so he had to kind of do some of his business there in Petolis. But uh, um, while he was there, Christians found him. Here in this foreign land where Paul has never been, Christians found him. What a coincidence. No. God knew that Paul would need encouragement. God knew that Paul would need reminding as to why he was doing all this stuff. It was so that Italy could know the, the gospel, and the gospel was already there. Um, uh, and the brothers there, when they had heard about us, came as far as uh, the form of Appius. So basically, they, they put in uh, to land at, at Petoli, and they started walking towards Rome on the Appian Way. 
And so somehow the message had gotten out uh, to Rome that, that Paul, the apostle, was heading to Rome. And, and so people got so excited that they left Rome and they started going towards Paul so that they could walk back with Paul as he was journeying to Rome. Like 30 miles, people. Is that what you do when companies come into your town? Oh, where are, are you in Ocala? I'm going to start driving. I'll meet you in Gainesville and I'll follow you back to town. Is that how you roll? No, we just wait for them to get here. But these people were so excited to see the apostle that they walked all the way out so they could walk back in with them. On seeing them, it tells us, Paul thanked who? Thank you, Lord. And then he did what? He took courage. It's the Greek word uh, tharsos, like cathartic. He had this, this push, this, this adrenaline, this, 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 this pump up as a result of seeing these Christians. You got people like that in your life? Your pump up people? I was taught when I first began preaching, find the balcony people. This is actually in a book on preaching. Find your balcony people. When you're preaching, there's gonna be a lot of people who fall asleep. Wake up if you're there. There's gonna be a lot of people who won't smile at you because they don't wanna be here no matter what you say. They're gonna be mad at you because they're here. But then there's gonna be some people who from the minute they sit down can't stop smiling. And they never say a word to you, but when you're preaching, they're the ones that you want to look at. Because when everybody else is discouraging you with their, uh, their faces, those people will always be someone who's, even without saying words, say, keep going, preacher. I'm listening. Nobody else might be, but I'm listening. Find your balcony people. Find your encouragers. Thank God, as Paul did, for those who would bother to walk the 30 miles so that they can encourage you. Someone here in my church, our church, writes me letters every month, this is from July, from grateful members, uh, and they say things like this in these cards. We thank God for you. you are so very, we are so very grateful for you here at Bay Life. Thank you so much for uh, your passion in getting God's word into our hearts uh, and minds. It's amazing, I don't know about that, but thank you for your love and devotion. Thank you for serving at Bay Life. Uh, we so truly, uh, we are so truly grateful for you and for your family. Uh, we want you to know you're loved and uh, uh, prayed for. I get something like that every, every month. I got a stack of these from like the last eight, nine, ten years in my office. Whoever you are, thank you one more time for, for bothering to do that. And I didn't read that because I want the rest of you to send me cards. Don't, don't, don't do that. But what I am saying is that it is great that in the body of Christ, other Christians take the time to encourage. And, in, and when we walk this life, we need that. It's a team sport, Christianity. We need to belong to each other, to be known by each other, to be loved by each other, so that we can get through the aftermaths of our storms, the middles of our storms, the beginnings of our storms. That's what the body of Christ is for, support. And so many of us come in here and we settle for sitting in a black chair, knowing no one and walking back out. And I'm telling you, that is not the Christian experience. We are meant to have each other in life so that we can get through life. I want you to do a couple of things this week. Uh, I want you to think back through all your balcony people. Who are the ones that have encouraged you in your Christian faith? Maybe take the time to contact them on Facebook or email or text or even call them or go see them 
If there's someone sitting in your row, talk to them after this service. But thank someone this week for being your encourager, for being the person that helped you in a time as you were coming out of a storm. And then the second thing I want you to do this week is I want you to go and be someone who encourages another. Find someone who's in the middle of some stuff. And instead of, you know, talking about them with the other Christians in your life group or friend group and saying, tiss, 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 what a sad thing. Go and be that agent of encouragement in their world, in their life. They might tell you there's nothing that you can do, just pray, whatever, but at least ask. Walk the 30 miles. You might be surprised just how encouraging that act might be. Yeah, God... uh, gets his people where he needs them so that people can be encouraged. I'm grateful for the many who have encouraged me in life, throughout my life, uh, so I could get to where I am right now. Uh, I'm looking forward to being an encourager to others and being encouraged by you and others as I continue and persist in this following of Jesus. That's how it's supposed to work, right? Uh, But sometimes God uh, has grander, different plans Perhaps he needs uh, us to go different places even as we uh, are sought to be used by him in encouraging others. And uh, certainly that happens in a church like ours from time to time. Uh, People who have served with us and loved us and been a part of us get called to other spots. And that's happened here in our church. And so uh, I want us to have an opportunity to celebrate some servants and to talk with them about what God has for them next. So a pastor and his wife are going to come out here and they're already here. Can you give it up for Brad and Reba? They're going to be. You guys snuck up on me. Uh, Brad and Reba have uh, heard from God, and they're going to be making a move, and Brad's here to tell you about it. Go ahead, Brad. Area and, and I talked with Reba, and she was feeling the same way. And so we really prayed, and we really asked God for what he would have for us uh, in his will for our lives. And uh, we have accepted a role in a church in Tucson, Arizona. And over the next month, we will be transitioning there. Our last Sunday here will be August 12th. And... Uh, I mean, there's, there's going to be time for talking about goodbyes and all that stuff, so we just want to l- let you know that that's happening. You can pray for us that uh, we make a, a safe and a good transition and that uh, we're able to sell the house and take care of all the necessary details that uh, are included in, in a move like this. And so um, that's, that's it. Yeah. So some of you are newer to our church. It was 12 years ago that I drove through Evansville, Indiana, uh, having gotten a resume from this guy uh, on a vacation that I was on with my uh, kids. And we sat down and uh, talked at their church and sat in a hotel that we were staying at and talked about the prospects. We prayed then for God's best, and God spoke in their lives and brought them to us for these past 12 years. And now God has spoken again. And uh, so they're going to go off to the next parts of their, uh, their journey uh, with God. And uh, we're going to miss them, and, and we're so grateful for all that the things that you have done while you've been here and serving God and serving each uh, of those who are a part of us. And so uh, would you just thank them with me for all the things that God has done?
So, uh, so like Brad said, it's, it's a couple more weeks before they go. You can stay standing. We're just going to pray and go. It's a couple more weeks before they go. So, yeah, yeah sorry, like I don't um, uh, It's just a couple more weeks before they go. So pray with them for all these transition needs, houses, sales, and all, sales and all that stuff. Uh, but pray that it's a great goodbye. Uh, pray uh, that this is a great time for us to esteem them and encourage them as they head off to what's next. And I'm going to pray that right now. Will you pray with me? Hey, God, uh, I'm so grateful for my sister and my brother, and uh, thank you for these last 12 years that we've had to spend together serving you in this place. Uh, Lord, for all of us, whatever you have next, we want to be ready. We want to be willing, like these, uh, my friends have been willing, to step out in faith and, and trust you, uh, even if it means going somewhere else. Uh, I pray, God, that where they go, they'll find their next friends, and they'll find uh, those that they're going to minister to and that they'll serve you uh, in the same ways that they've served here, with faithfulness and with integrity and with excellence, uh, and that you'll be uh, using them to be a blessing on that church in Tucson. Uh, for us, God, uh, bring whoever's going to replace uh, Brad and Reba to us and, and, uh, and do that in your time. Help us to, uh, in the meantime, bring you all the glory that you deserve and give us a great goodbye with these two, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.